Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so today we are continuing to read The Pesky Kids 4, Near Extinction. And today we're up to Chapter 16. But before we jump into it, someone wrote in uh, the Apple uh, podcast review thing. uh, First of all, they, they wrote asking me a question, and I don't think there's any way of me replying to reviews you've written on Apple Podcasts. So... I can't reply if you write a review. Like, you write a review, it's just a review. Uh, But they were asking me to tell them, to give them instructions on how to buy uh, one of my Nanny Piggins books. Um, But this person was in Brisbane. Now, if you're overseas, I can understand it's a little bit more challenging to buy my books. But you can still order them online from, like, Book Depository or Amazon or something, and they'll deliver them anywhere in the world. So it's not really that hard. Just look it up online and order it. Although I guess if you're a kid, it may be harder to order online. But anyway, this kid was in Brisbane. So uh, in Brisbane, Australia, you can go into any bookshop and they will have my books. And they may not have all of my books. Maybe they've just got Friday Barnes or the Shockingly Good Stories because they've come out recently. But if you want the earlier books, you just have to go up to the counter and say, can I please order one of, I don't know, the Nanny Piggins books or one of the Pesky Kids books? And they'll they'll be able to get it in for you. It takes about a week, maybe two weeks at the most. And they'll be able to get it in for you. And then you can buy it. And it's awesome. Books are, bookshops are excellent that way. So uh, they're there to help you. If you just ask, they can order it in. And it's always good to support your local bookstore. All right. Okay, let's just get into it and tell stories now. Okay, so we're up to chapter 16. And just so you know, the last thing that happened at the end of chapter 15 was the school bus that all the kids were on at the dinosaur park. They were just about to leave to go and get help. The school bus crashed because Tom was trying to hit April with his cane. Tom is vision impaired, so he has a white cane. And uh, he accidentally hit Mr. Lang, who was driving the bus across the face, and he let go of the steering wheel and they went uh, off the road into a big ditch and the bus sort of, yeah, it careened out of control and crashed. Okay, so that's where we're picking up the story. Chapter 16, What Now? Inside the bus, there were kids strewn everywhere. April shoved Tom, Neil and Matilda off her and bounded down the aisle, making little attempt to avoid Kieran and Animesh with her feet. Mr Lang was just opening the concertina doors as April hit the steps and launched herself cat-like onto the dirt outside. The sight that met her eyes was shocking. The T-Rex had been three times the height of the bus, but now had collapsed over the top. The T-Rex's feet were a metre off the ground and the massive fibreglass statue seesawed precariously in the wind. At the top end, in the jaws of the giant animatronic creature, there was Finn, still stuck by his head. Although now that the dinosaur was lying across the roof of the bus, Finn could support some of his own weight by standing on his tippy toes on the rooftop. Are you dead? called April. Not yet, cried Finn, his voice muffled inside the dinosaur. 
I'm actually more comfortable now. I'm getting more airflow from this angle. All sisterly concern drained out of April, and she went back to her natural default mode of pain out on her brother. You know you're a huge idiot, right? said April. I'm smaller than you, said Finn. He was two inches shorter despite being one year older. That's why your idiocy is so massive, said April, because relative to your actual size, it's totally out of proportion. Your dumbness to volume ratio is enormous. Loretta and Joe were sprawled in the dirt just metres from the front wheels of the bus. Joe had tackled Loretta, knocking her out of the way as the bus hurtled down the embankment towards them. Joe was just sitting on the ground apparently in shock, but Loretta got to her feet and tried to brush some of the dirt off her clothes. She was filthy from landing hard in the dirt, then having Joe crash down on top of her. Sorry, stammered Joe. Loretta had a huge smile on her face as she slapped the dust off her school uniform. Don't be. That was thrilling. This is turning out to be the best school excursion ever, said Loretta. We never did anything this exciting at St Anthony's. Joe still hadn't got up. He was gritting his teeth. Are you okay? asked April. Joe never did say much, but it wasn't normal for him to sit on the ground clenching his teeth and squinting into the middle distance either, especially not when one of his siblings was dangling precariously out of the mouth of a dinosaur. Joe had more maternal instincts than most mothers. It was like an emu. When the mother leaves, the male sits on the eggs and looks after the babies. Fine, said Joe. April looked closely at Joe's face. Then why are your eyes watering? What's wrong, said Loretta. Nothing, mumbled Joe. Stop lying, said April. I sprained my ankle, said Joe. Loretta burst out laughing. Oh, the irony. It's delicious. A real sprained ankle, said Loretta. Shall I get Daisy to come and carry you? I'll be fine, said Joe. He shifted all his weight onto his good foot and, using his hands for support, slowly stood up. He looked pale and clammy, but he was upright. See? Uh Uh-huh, said Loretta. Now try walking over to the bus to check on Finn. Joe took one tentative step. As soon as he moved his weight onto his bad foot, he collapsed on the ground again. It took all his willpower not to scream out in pain. Tears were pushing up at the back of his eyes. He could not cry in front of Loretta Viswanathan. He turned away from her, then realised he was facing all the kids on the bus. Their faces pressed up against the glass. Joe pulled his cap down over his eyes, so if he did accidentally let a tear or two spill out, no one could see. April had climbed up on top of the bus to check on Finn. He looked ridiculous with his head clamped inside the dinosaur statue, tiptoeing back and forth on the roof as the dinosaur tilted in the breeze. April took in the sight. You know, it would be so easy for me to dack you right now, she observed. Don't do it, cried Finn. Don't worry, I won't, said April. It wouldn't be sporting. It would be like shooting fish in a tin of sardines. Finn breathed a sigh of relief. He was pretty sure he was wearing his Lego undies, and he didn't want everyone in school to see that. I could tickle you, though, said April. April, please, pleaded Finn. All right, said April. I'll leave you alone. I don't really need to do anything. It's like you're self-tormenting at this stage. I can just stand back and enjoy the spectacle. When we get back to school, yelled Mr Lang, you are all suspended. Mr Lang had climbed out of the bus. His face was red with rage. All the kids in the school, asked Kieran. Isn't that just a student-free day then? Not all the kids in the school, you ridiculous boy, snapped Mr Lang. The pesky kids. I'm suspending a lot of you. 
You destroyed a local monument and seriously damaged the school bus. You lot are a walking train wreck. Ever since you came to this school, you've wrecked everything. Well, that's a bit harsh, said April. I like to think we've added to the local colour. Yeah, said Finn. With our big city neuroses, we've made Karawong more cosmopolitan. They did save the cockroach races, catch a runaway bear and solve a bank robbery, said Loretta. I think it's very ungrateful for you to be so critical of their few antisocial behaviours. They crashed a bus into a local tourist attraction, cried Mr Lang. You were the one who crashed the bus, argued April. Only because you hit me in the face when I was driving, said Mr Lang. No, I didn't, said April. Tom did. You're blaming the blind boy, cried Mr Lang. Not blind, vision impaired, April corrected him. And Tom is a far more complicated person. You shouldn't just see him as a boy with a disability. He's more than that. He's a boy with a disability, with a violent temper, psychopathic attitude and shameless disregard for others when it comes to manspreading. What's manspreading, asked Mr Lang. Ask Tom, said April. He'll show you. I'm reporting you all to the Department of Education, said Mr Lang, as he stomped back to the bus. I shouldn't have to put up with this. Prison guards in maximum security have less difficult people to deal with. Hey, called Finn from inside the dinosaur head. Mr Lang isn't going to start the bus, is he? He probably just wants to get the bus out from under the T-Rex, said April. But if he does that, said Finn, I'm going to fall three metres to the ground and possibly have my head ripped off by the weight of the dinosaur. You should have thought of that before you climbed up there and stuck your head in to impress Loretta, said April. I was not trying to impress Loretta, argued Finn. I was trying to establish if the statue accurately represented the number of rear teeth in the jaw of a T-Rex. Because that impresses all the ladies, said April. The bus shook as Mr Lang turned over the engine. It rumbled for a second, then died. Make him stop, panicked Finn. He was only 13. That was much too young to die. All the things he'd never done started to flash through his eyes. Drive a DeLorean, win a Nobel Prize, become an astronaut, cure cancer, invent a perpetual motion device, kiss a girl. Save me! Fine, fine, said April. Mr Lang turned the key again and the engine rumbled laboriously to life, sputtered a few times, then died again. April knocked on the doors of the bus and called out to the teacher. Hey, you're not going to drive away, are you? She called through the doors. Finn's worried he's going to die. We need to get back to Currawong to get help, said Mr Lang, trying the engine again. The whole bus shook as the engine turned over, but then died again. Yeah, well, it's not going to look good on your teacher's file if he gets decapitated when you back the bus out, said April. I'll back the bus out slowly, said Mr Lang. The dinosaur will slide off. A few students can support Finn so he isn't hurt in the process. It'll be fine. Yeah, and if you're wrong, my brother will bear a striking resemblance to Anne Boleyn in a few minutes, said April. I'm the adult. I make the decision, snapped Mr Lang. He turned the key again, and this time the bus didn't rumble. The starter motor just ticked. He tried again, and again there was just a ticking noise. What is that, said Mr Lang. Batteries flat, said Neil. I guess you don't get to make the decisions after all, said April. The electrons in the lead-acid battery have made them for you. Okay, that's the end of chapter 16, so let's push on and read chapter 17. Meanwhile, somewhere in Eastern Europe. 
Dad and Ingrid had been hiking through the woods for what felt like miles. They had ditched the dirt bikes, literally in a ditch, back by the main road. Ingrid had said they couldn't ride it too close to the prison because there would be security sensors buried in the forest floor and the vibrations would trip. Dad was not having a good time. He was not very fit. He did do a lot of gardening, but grafting rose bushes and propagating seedlings was not great cardiovascular training. Normally, Dad would enjoy being in the woods and looking at all the plants, but it was night time and he couldn't see anything. His lungs ached and his legs were on fire. And as much as he loved plants, he didn't love walking smack into a low-hanging tree branch or thorny bush every few paces. All Dad could do was follow Ingrid. The moon was a slim crescent. There was barely any light at all. He sensed her as much by her movement as anything else. She certainly made no noise, but he could see the movement of branches parting as she made her way through the dense undergrowth. Until suddenly, she stopped. We are here, she whispered. Where? asked Dad. Look. Ingrid pushed aside a branch, and Dad could see they were on a hilltop overlooking a valley. The sun was beginning to rise. It hadn't peeped above the horizon yet, but the sky was growing purple as light started to drift up into the sky. Dad could make out the shape of a dark, square building, surrounded by high, barbed wire fences, with four guard towers, one at each corner. It's a prison, said Dad. Ingrid nodded. Your wife is inside. Dad felt cold. He tried not to think about his wife, at least in the daytime. He couldn't stop his brain from having dreams, and more often nightmares about her at night. He knew she was in prison, but he hadn't thought about what that meant. She was tough, she could handle anything, he knew that, but this prison looked like a lot to handle. It was worse than anything his imagination could have conjured up. He hated to think what sort of things went on inside, such a bleak and miserable building, hidden away in the woods, away from eyes and oversight. We must get inside, said Ingrid. What, said Dad. He knew they were trying to break his wife out, but it hadn't occurred to him that they would have to break in. It didn't seem very sensible. They aren't going to let her come out here for a nature walk, said Ingrid. We have to go in and get her. How? said Dad. It looked like an impossible task. We'll never get past the barbed wire. Ingrid glanced at the building. That is not barbed wire. It's razor wire. Electrified razor wire. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, said Dad. He started to hyperventilate. This was all too much. They'll just lock us up too. If they interrogate me, I won't be strong. I won't be able to resist. I haven't got it in me. I want to do the right thing, but I'm not strong enough. I'll tell them everything. You don't know anything, Ingrid pointed out. I know, agreed Dad, but perhaps I know more than I think I know. You don't, said Ingrid. I've known you for two years. You definitely don't know more than you think you know. If anything, you know much less. But will they believe that, asked Dad. Perhaps I should make something up. Am I going to have to slap you, asked Ingrid, or can you get control of your emotions by yourself? Dad took some steady in breaths. (sighs) I'm okay, I think. Good, said Ingrid. But you can't seriously propose us trying to get in there, said Dad. It would take months to dig a tunnel, or arrange for a helicopter to land in the exercise yard at the exact time she was out jogging. Which is why we will keep things simple, said Ingrid, turning back to look at the layout of the prison. We will go in through the front door. What? exclaimed Dad. They'll shoot us as soon as we walk up the driveway. No, said Ingrid. I have made arrangements. I had a contact acquire a military vehicle for us. She went over to a nearby bush and pulled it aside. 
It came away easily. Apparently it wasn't a real bush, just camouflage. Behind the scrub was hidden a 1984 Toyota Corolla. It was a small, underwhelming grey car. Your contact betrayed you, exclaimed Dad. That's just an old wreck. Ingrid let out a sigh. There was no point getting angry with Dad, so she calmly explained. Espionage operatives always drive cars like this. No one suspects the most lethal government agents would drive a hatchback. She opened the back door and took a package off the back seat. Take off your clothes. What? said Dad. In the few weeks he and Ingrid had been living together, he had been very careful to make sure she never got a glimpse of him anything less than fully dressed. In fact, he'd actually been wearing extra clothes when she was around, almost as if they were a protective shield. Ingrid threw the package to him. Put on this uniform. Will you turn around? asked Dad. Ingrid briefly considered knocking Dad out and changing him herself. She never turned her back on anyone. She'd been trained not to when she'd attended Sweden's elite spy academy. But turning her back on Dad was like turning your back on an injured kitten, an acceptable level of risk. She could set aside her years of training just this once. Twenty minutes later, Dad was driving the Corolla down a fire trail into the valley. Ingrid was handcuffed to a rail in the back seat. But how do we get inside? asked Dad. I don't speak whatever language it is they speak here. It'll be Estonian or Russian, said Ingrid. The staff will be multilingual. The collective is an international organisation. Well, they won't expect someone in uniform to address them in English, said Dad. Just don't speak, said Ingrid. In your country, people talk, 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 so much more than is necessary. Here, no talking will be considered normal. As they turned the next bend in the road, they could see the prison up ahead. Dad started to hyperventilate again. I can't do this. I can't. Ingrid couldn't slap him because her hands were cuffed. She headbutted the back of Dad's seat instead. It did startle some sense into him. He stopped wailing and just breathed ridiculously quickly. You need to focus, Ingrid told him firmly. Dad nodded. He knew he had to get it together. What should I focus on, he asked. The fact that I will kill you if you don't get it together, said Ingrid. It had not occurred to Dad that the collective were not the only people he should be afraid of. He should be afraid of Ingrid, too. He struggled to make his breathing normal. They were approaching the guard booth. What do I do? asked Dad. Stop and roll down the window, said Ingrid, sitting back in the seat and assuming the role of prisoner. Dad pulled up alongside the booth. A guard sat inside. He looked very young, perhaps only twenty. He also looked cold, despite the massive greatcoat and fur hat he was wearing. Documente, said the guard. Dad did not know the language the man was speaking, but somewhere inside his brain... He instantly interpreted the words as papers. The guard wanted to see his papers. Dad patted his chest. There were papers in the breast pocket of the uniform he was wearing. He hoped it wasn't a receipt for a dry cleaner. Dad pulled them out. They were written in a Cyrillic dialect. Dad glanced at them. The language was entirely foreign to him, but he understood every word. Transportation orders for prisoner XTH 329004. He handed them over to the guard. The guard looked at them and handed them back. said the guard. He pressed a button and the boom gate opened. Spisiba, said Dad, as he drove the car away from the guard. I did not know you could speak Russian, said Ingrid. I can't, said Dad. You just said thank you in perfectly pronounced Russian, said Ingrid. You even had an authentic Muscovite accent. I did, said Dad. Kakoya vremya, said Ingrid. Dad glanced at his watch. Oh, Chetje Tretyova. Dad suddenly realised what he had done. Oh my gosh, I do speak Russian. You asked the time, didn't you? And I said, quarter to three. 
Ingrid nodded. It makes sense, said Ingrid. Your wife must have taught you. She never gave me any lessons, said Dad. Did she ever get you to listen to audio tapes while you were sleeping, asked Ingrid. No, said Dad. She never hooked you up to any devices, asked Ingrid. No, said Dad. Except I did snore, so she found a ventilator for me. I had to wear that at night. You don't snore, said Ingrid. She was brainwashing you. Are there any other languages you can secretly speak? No, said Dad. He was still reeling from the idea of brainwashing. Yalla, said Ingrid. said Dad. He clapped his hand to his mouth. Oh my, I had no idea I knew that. What language was that? Arabic, said Ingrid. Your wife was a great operative. If Dad didn't feel so violated, he might have been impressed too. And that is the end of the chapter, so we'll leave it there. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>